Welcome to The Word, a weekly podcast from Maggie Valley United Methodist Church in Maggie Valley, North Carolina, in the heart of the Smoky Mountains. Here now is Reverend Ann Duncan for this week's Word. Hi, everyone. Today's sermon is about World Communion Sunday. I'm taking a break from the Old Testament sermons, and no, I haven't posted here in a while, but I want to highlight this sermon for you this week and hope to post my next two sermons on the prophets Jonah and Amos for you as well in the weeks to come. World Communion Sunday. Christians from all over the world, from many denominations and hundreds of languages are celebrating the Lord's Supper. World Communion Sunday began in the 1940s as a way of recognizing that we celebrate communion with Christians of many different theologies and churches worldwide. In the 1940s, many Protestant churches in the United States rarely celebrated communion. Setting the first Sunday of October as World Communion Sunday became one way to ensure that at least once per year, many Christians might celebrate at the same time. World Communion Sunday reminds us that we are truly joining the songs and prayers of all the saints on earth and all the saints in heaven around the Lord's table. I want to speak about communion today, and following my recent trip to England, I want to highlight what communion means for United Methodist. The bread and cup are things we often receive, but we may not always know why we receive or what the theology is behind the action. Like most other Protestants, United Methodists recognize two sacraments, baptism and communion. There are only two because these are the only two sacraments Jesus himself participated in. A sacrament for us as United Methodist has these four characteristics. One, Jesus did it. Two, Jesus asked his followers to do it. Three, there's a physical symbol, water or the bread and juice. And four, God has promised to give us grace to which the response is our faith. Jesus did it, asked us to do it. There's a physical symbol and we receive grace followed by our action. Both baptism and communion fit these characteristics. There are many images of and dimensions to communion. For one, it is a family meal. We gather together as a family at the table to eat together. Often communion tables purposefully look like a family dining table in which one could pull up a chair and eat. Communion is also partaking in the body and blood of Jesus. Jesus himself made this exact proclamation, though in a moment we'll talk about how we interpret that statement. We are reminded of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for humanity. We give thanks for what God has done for us, and we come to the table to receive joyfully. Through communion, we also receive the image of anticipating God's full reign in the coming kingdom. Jesus' presence at the table points to a coming banquet where the whole family of God will gather together. Until then, we will continue to take communion. So it's no wonder that Holy Communion is the most frequent act of Christians at worship around the world. 
So I want to continue with our scriptural basis. I want to read to you the account of the First Communion between Jesus and his disciples as what we call the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper. It was the night before Jesus' crucifixion, and he gathered with his closest friends in the upper room to celebrate Passover. During the meal, he offered them bread and wine as symbols of his body and blood, which would be crucified and shed the next day. I invite you to hear the account from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. Hear now this word of God. When the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do you remember the first time you took communion? Think for a moment. How old were you? Where were you? Was it at a Methodist church or a Catholic or a Baptist? Did everyone around you participate? Did you drink wine or was it grape juice? Did you kneel, drink from a small cup, and eat a tiny wafer? Or was the bread passed down the pews so everyone could tear off a piece? I don't remember the first time I took communion. Growing up United Methodist, I was invited to the table as a small child. I don't remember a time when I didn't take communion. Last month, I took communion in a Church of England cathedral in Durham, England. The service was written in 1662, 1662, and to receive communion, I knelt and received the wafer and wine with my hands folded in my lap. The wafer was placed on my tongue by the priest, and the wine tipped into my mouth using a common cup. In the Church of England, one must be confirmed before receiving communion. So what about the Methodist Church makes it possible for me to give communion to my two young children? Let's look briefly at the history of communion in our denomination. When John Wesley was alive and a minister in the Church of England, the denomination did not emphasize communion. John Wesley first received communion when he was eight years old. As today, a child had to take a class and answer a series of questions correctly before receiving for the first time. As John Wesley traveled through Great Britain as an Anglican priest, he saw people hungry for the Lord's Supper. In most congregations, Holy Communion was only celebrated three times a year. Thus, many people never received the sacrament. John decided to not only preach outside, which was a huge taboo, but he also served communion outside. Mill workers could receive the holy meal before going to work or coal miners at the end of a long, dirty day before going home to rest. One of the major conflicts between John Wesley and the Church of England was his willingness to take the bread and cup to people everywhere and anywhere at any time. Wesley received several times a week and saw it as his calling to enable people to receive communion more often. 
Wesley believed communion was a means of receiving the grace of God that was part of a new covenant made possible by the gift of the cross. The early Methodist missionaries to America were not ordained and thus could not administer communion. Wesley sent a few ordained ministers to America who traveled around the country presiding at the Lord's table in different communities every single week. These men were the famous Methodist circuit riders. However, the early American Methodists were not satisfied with receiving communion so infrequently, and this was one reason Methodists left their English roots and formed their own denomination. They wanted to ordain their own ministers. Once they could ordain ministers, they could take communion more regularly. In 2019, some congregations receive monthly, which is the tradition at Maggie Valley at our 11 a.m. service, while others receive quarterly and some weekly, which we do at our 9 a.m. service. There's no one right way, but we should never miss a chance to receive communion, to receive the grace of God. As John Wesley once wrote in one of his sermons entitled Constant Communion, it is the duty of all Christians to receive the Lord's Supper as often as they can. I keep using the word grace, and I want to speak for a moment about grace, but I want no, but I want to answer some practical questions first as well. My husband Nathan grew up Episcopalian and asked why we serve grape juice and not wine. And why do we let anyone, member or not, child or adult, come to the table? And what happens to the bread and juice when I bless it? Does it actually turn into Jesus' body and blood? These are all good questions. As United Methodists, we describe the elements as bread and cup. And for over 125 years, we have filled that cup with grape juice instead of wine. Why? The only reason, and it's a good one, is because it is a commitment to abstain from alcoholic beverages. It brings a social witness to the table and opens the table to children, youth, and those who struggle with alcohol addiction. The practice of using grape juice appeared in 1876 in the United Methodist Discipline. A dentist named Dr. Welch was a Methodist layman who developed a way of preserving unfermented grape juice. His church began to use this grape juice, and soon many churches wanted to use it as well. We drink Welch's grape juice to this day. And who can come to the table? In some traditions, you must be a member of that denomination or that particular church to participate. Other Christians emphasize the need of having been saved or even immersed before partaking. In the United Methodist Church, the practice has actually changed over the years. In the early days of American Methodism, only those who were in good spiritual standing were invited to the table. But today we practice an open table. Anyone's invited to respond to the invitation to receive. There are no restrictions because of a person's age, ability to reason, membership in a local congregation, or even baptism. We welcome the visitor, the stranger, the member, the guest, the saint, the sinner, the old and the young to the table of Jesus Christ. Our inclusive invitation is open to everyone because through grace, we trust that God is already inviting persons to the table. John Wesley believed that God can initiate salvation through the Lord's Supper for people who are not members of the church. People who are not yet baptized Christians can have their conversion or transformation moment when they share this holy meal. And I've seen it happen. 
I've witnessed a 76-year-old man take communion for the first time and arrive in my office the next morning saying he was ready to commit to following Christ. This is what we Methodists call provenient grace. God is already working in our lives before we even respond. And when we do respond, wow, we receive that grace and we are justified in faith. Our invitation to Holy Communion says clearly, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and seek to live in peace with one another. I, as a pastor, seek to be a good steward of what is, after all, the Lord's table. Not my table, not the Methodist Church's table, or Maggie Valley's table. I believe that when we offer the bread and juice to everyone, everyone will experience the love of God. As for what happens to the bread and juice when I bless them, that's when I say, pour out your Holy Spirit. There are other Christian traditions that some of you may have been a part of that have a certain theological language for that moment. In the Roman Catholic tradition, they speak of transubstantiation, which means the bread and wine are actually changed in substance to the body and blood of Jesus. That's why you can't touch the bread yourself. In the Lutheran tradition, they teach consubstantiation, which means that Jesus is in, with, and under the bread and wine. And finally, many Baptist traditions understand communion to be a memorial that remembers a meal from long ago. As United Methodists, we claim and experience that our Lord is really present, but spiritually present. It's no less real because it is spiritual, because we do believe spiritual reality is authentic. In Holy Communion, we experience through word, sign, and action the living presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. When we share in the meal, we experience anew the true presence of God. If someone asks you what it means to be a United Methodist, I hope you can answer with one simple word, grace. I've used the word a lot so far in my sermon. Grace is a central theme to United Methodist thinking, and we tend to emphasize it more than anything else. We talk a lot about grace when it comes to communion. As communion is one of the sacraments, communion is one of the primary ways we receive God's grace. I just said a moment ago that through grace, God invites people to the table. And what exactly is grace? Grace is God's freely given, undeserved gift of love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Grace is God's freely given, undeserved gift of love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Did you ever hear of the man who stood at the pearly gates seeking admittance to heaven? St. Peter asked, Why should you be let into heaven? Well, the man replied, I've attended church all my life and once went 12 years without missing a Sunday. Hmm, that's good, St. Peter said. That's worth one point. The man shifted and said, Not only that, but I have always been kind to children, give large sums of money to the needy, and gone out of my way to help old folks cross the street. Okay, said the gatekeeper. That's another point. Okay, well, I've served on several church committees, volunteered at Trunk or Treat, and brought lots of items for the Agape shoeboxes. One more point, said the gatekeeper, shrugging. Good grief, the man shouted. At this rate, I'm only going to get in by the grace of God. Bingo, said St. Peter. Welcome to heaven. Have you ever had a teacher say, 
If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember, when I heard that comment as a child, my ears would perk up, in part because I knew what was about to be said was important, and in part because I assumed that it would be on the final exam. If you don't remember anything else about United Methodist Theology, and in this instant, how it relates to communion, remember this, grace, grace. Communion is an invitation by God's grace to receive God's love and forgiveness. There is nothing we can do to deserve it. It is something we do to remember Jesus and how he died for our sins and was resurrected. We come to the table repenting of our sins and confident that we are loved and forgiven. Nothing more and certainly nothing less. As Jesus told his disciples along the lake shore, there are no works that God requires. Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Believe and repent. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Come today to this table to receive this bread and this cup, which are Jesus's spiritual body and blood. They are given to us without cost. Come, experience that presence, be forgiven and accepted. Eat and drink and have your full. Come and know that the Lord is good. Thanks be to God. Amen. This has been The Word, the weekly podcast from Maggie Valley United Methodist Church. If you'd like to support the church in all of its outreach, please visit our website at www.maggieumc.org forward slash donate.